the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. I'm with Kenneth from Dan West, and I'm from Jim with the Mid-South Gardening Awesome Page. Well, that's not the title, though, but... But it is an awesome Facebook page. It is uh, an Facebook. awesome page, Facebook page. It's close enough. You got it. Close Good morning, Miss Vega. Good better. morning, Mr. Jim. <laughs> Good How morning. Are How are y'all? How was your week? It, it was great. Now, Jim... Well, if I'll turn that phone off. Oh, that's your yeah. phone? Oh, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's my phone. <laughs> I was like, I'm just Every now and then, I just like to make the comp- producer go, what's what? happening? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at Alan, the producer, waiting, going, Alan, oh, should we panic yet? <laughs> oh, good. Well, uh, I guess panic wouldn't be the word. You know, right? we always got a story to tell, right? <laughs> you oh, do, you got definitely. one. <laughs> I've got one this morning, and it's it's relative, I promise you. Night before, not, what's the day, Saturday, mm-hmm. Friday, Thursday night, I was out watering some shrubs in the backyard. Well, and watering everything in the backyard except for my lawn, right? And I noticed, I'm standing there, you know, how you just stand there with the water hose. And, you know, I'm, some people count to 30 and some people just yeah. <laughs> are bored stiff. <laughs> like, let me get through with this, right? So I'm out there watering and I turn around and I see these crepe myrtles that I have that died back two years ago. Remember, to the ground, completely died to the ground because they were really young crepe myrtles. And they've grown back up, and they're six to seven foot tall. They're looking really good, okay? No scale on them, anything like that. And they're just now starting to bloom. And I'm thinking, well, this one on the left looks really nice. I mean, it's really starting to bloom. And these other two, I can see the bloom heads, but I don't see any really bloom on them. So I make my way around, and I finally get to the crepe myrtles that I'm starting to water, okay? And I look up. And there are probably, I don't know, 20 Japanese beetles on, on, on wow. every bloom <laughs> on these crepe myrtles. Oh, every wow. one of them. You know, now, I don't know why they don't just stick to roses that they really love, but crepe evidently, myrtles. Jim, Veda, they, they love crepe myrtle blooms, too. Yeah. Oh. In fact, they love crepe myrtle foliage. I have one that uh, came up from a seedling uh, right beside one of my water gardens and I just let it grow. And last mm-hmm. year it had kind of a weeping effect to it. So I thought, well, I'm just going to see what mm-hmm. it hadn't bloomed yet and mm-hmm. still hadn't bloomed, but I cut it back. And this year it's full and thick oh, yeah. and just going rampant. But the first six inches or so of foliage look good. But when you get down in there, the Japanese beetles are just eating about the next 12 inches mm-hmm. all up. You know, and if you go out there and you slap a limb down into mm-hmm. soapy water, you get 12 yeah. and 150 get away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you guys, I was watering and I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not going to let this stand. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm gently pulling these limbs down and I'm just grabbing the whole bloom with my hand and uh-huh. squeezing. Oh, I would have okay? pulled that bloom all the way down and let go of it and see if it would just sling. Well, no, because I know they're going to come back. You know, and I'm like, Jim, yeah. I mean, I was getting most of them, but every night I'd have two or three fly buzz away and I'm thinking, I'll get you, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, gosh, dang it, How man. How many did you get? Probably a hundred, <laughs> honestly. Wow. Oh, yeah. You were just out there on a mission. I was on a mission. I was like, you <laughs> I know what? I can see that. Uh-uh, we needed you, a video. You know, yeah. <laughs> My wife was like, what are you? She actually came outside. Oh, she said, my word. What are you doing? Because you couldn't really notice what you were doing. Oh, if no. Somebody from a distance is watching. So like, all I'm saying <laughs> is, you know, we all know how Japanese beetles are out right now. And, you know, they're eating everything up. And we know how they love roses. I mean, you'll get them on the roses, I promise you. 
but you better go check your great myrtle blooms also. And you know what I was I I haven't seen any Japanese beetles, but I haven't been out mm-hmm. around and so luckily since I haven't seen any that means they're not in the garden center. But it's like your garden center's right on the road like ours is. So no. I don't guess Japanese beetles want to hang around there. Well, but yeah, you're right. And this was at home, of course, where all mm-hmm. this happened. But, you know, if you've got them, and, and I promise you, if you make your rounds, and if you've got j- crepe myrtles that are blooming or roses that are blooming, you probably have them. You know, it's the old three-step method of getting rid of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Jim was saying, go out there in the morning and uh, with some a bucket of soapy water. And just knock them down in soapy water. You know, they'll drown. Yeah, you can get rid of hundreds of them that I way. I know we need to, but it's just horrible to or do like I drowning did. a bug. Do like I did. <laughs> just sneak up on them, pull it down, and, and squish them. And, it, and, and I just, you know, I felt so good doing it. it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then, I think you can put them uh, in a blender and make a smoothie and get a lot of protein. Well, I'm not going to do that, though. <laughs> you know, I just make you know, it. I mean, unless I, I was really know. desperate. There was just some discussion about uh, putting them in a blender and then spraying that. Mm-hmm. that it would repel them and you know and i can't see it because it seems to me you're going to get just as much sex hormones out pheromones <laughs> hormones. out there yeah. you know you're gonna you're gonna have more you know so amorous, uh, and um, i have heard Japanese people Beatles i have heard of people doing that but I, i'm like you i don't i don't i'm not that, sure about that that actually seems like i was thinking well I, th- I think that actually makes sense and then i thought real quick okay all their hormones are left in the blender they yeah. just blend it out well they're pheromones <laughs> yeah that, that too thank you i guess to me it's yeah, <laughs> yeah so you know you can drop them down in the soapy water um and there are a lot of sprays out there uh that have japanese beetles on the label and you have to be vigilant you know and you have to spray more than one time uh, but you'll keep the population hopefully down to acceptable levels if you're out there spraying. And then thirdly, and I know Jim just cringes every time I say this, is get the old Japanese beetle trap and put they it. They did good that time. Yeah. They and, just uh, sat there. But as Jim says, you know, <laughs> put it in the neighbor's yard. But draw them, put them in the corner back there. Draw them away from, you know, your roses and your crepe myrtles. And but, that's kind of what I use the crepe myrtle for as a drawing mm-hmm. card for the. But I didn't, though. Okay? Yeah, yeah. You're wanting your crepe yes. myrtle a lot more than I'm wanting this yes. one, you know. <laughs> I'll cut this one down a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, I was like, gosh, dang it. You know, these dang things. And hopefully they're only going to be around for, what, another two weeks, guys? I mean, because yeah, they've been around probably. for two or three weeks already. And, they're, and they usually stick around mm-hmm. for, what, five to six weeks yeah. every year. So. All I'm saying is just be on the lookout, and if you create myrtles, if they don't seem like they're blooming the way they should, <laughs> go out there and take a look at the bloom heads on them. I rem- the two th- plants that I can remember from a really young age at my grandparents was uh, crepe myrtle and plum trees, because both of them were fun for a kid, especially the crepe myrtles, because the blooms would fall on the ground. We'd have our little bitty pewter plates that we were playing dolls with and put all the sweet little blooms on the plate, and we would have— She's a girl. Yeah. Yeah. I just never realized that. I know, right? I'm I'm a gardener. I'm not a girl. I'm a gardener. And so—and then, of course, picking the plums. How can you not remember that? Oh, and the mimosa trees, their leaves were green beans in Mm. our minds. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, that was kind of fun. I remember gardening from very— Early. Well, but you know, or very early, not that many years ago, we didn't have eight billion Japanese beetles, yeah. you know, flying around our head around here. So, 
you know, we'd always get a handful, but now they are out by the millions. I'm telling you, they're here and they're here to stay. They're yeah, not going anywhere. The only because we were in uh, raising the country out in Shelby Forest area, and the only insects I could ever remember were tomato worms. Mm. Uh, mosquitoes, the crickets, and the locusts. Everything the else. Bugs? Oh yeah, how could I forget lightning? You know, that's bugs. one thing I miss. I don't see many of those anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, there were lots of lightning bugs. Is I be- heard that boys. You said girl. I'm a girl. I heard that boys would pull off the lightning thing off of them and put all the lightning pieces in a jar. Well, we used to Jim, just put the whole lightning girls beginning? used to pull them off and put them on her fingernails. Yeah. yeah. What? Make a ring out of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but yeah, fireflies are one of the one of the things that says summer's doing great. Hey, this hour we are going to give away one of Todd's new books. Um mm-hmm. we'll it's almost. Do we have a bell or something, or just uh, at some point we'll say the third caller, okay? <laughs> and then if you're the third caller, you're going to get a copy of our daily biscuits, uh, our daily biscuit devotions with a drawl, and it's got lots of cool recipes in it, lots of good writing. It's a real interesting book. And if you'd like to get an autographed copy, you can pick up one at Novel Memphis. Uh, but anyway, third caller here in. Um, well, let's just go ahead and do it. Third caller right now gets a copy. How about that? All right? Yeah, it's a cool little book. I'm telling you. But yep. y'all got to use this number two six zero five nine two six. It's two six zero five nine two six. So um, back to oh, you know, I was looking at lavender. I just, I just wanted to see how many people were up this hour. Yeah, I yeah, know you're, that's you're killing people. <laughs> They're going, I can't dial right now. My eyes aren't away. Right. Dial. Who dials? Yeah, I, deserve I can't punch right now. <clears throat> <laughs> okay. Okay. We've had a good, good first 15 minutes <laughs> and lots more fun to go. So if y'all want to call us, 260-5926, um, you can check us out on our Facebook page. And I guess we'll run <clears throat> to a break because, yeah, we'll be right back after these messages. The Mighty 990, 107.9 FM, 990 AM, KWAM. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio, Kenneth with Dan West, and Jim with Great News. Say <laughs> 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 <So> what? <laughs> Thanks for joining us this morning. Give us a call, 260-5926, and we'll tackle your questions. We've already had the third caller call in, so the book is gone for this hour. But next hour, you can try again. Yeah, and you'll let us know, Jim, when to call in on the next hour. We'll do it. All righty, buddy. We'll just surprise them right off the bat. That sounds like a... Oh, but that could not be true. Maybe it'll be the very end. Could be. You know, isn't that how they do it? They tease you. They, you know, they, they... Yeah, Like it takes... 20 minutes to get to the end of the weather forecast because mm. they t- tell you a little bit every three minutes. Yeah. Mm. Okay, let, you want to take this caller? Let's go to Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Jerry. Good morning to you, buddy. How hot is it going to be today? It's going to be hot and humid. You know, I'm, I'm just not liking it already, honestly. <laughs> I like uh, it when I go out in the morning first thing because it's warm outside. <laughs> She is freezing in the yes. studio. <laughs> That's why McDonald's will be here in a few minutes. Oh, <laughs> yes, indeed, sir. Indeed. What's going on today, buddy? Uh, uh, what about putting soap in uh, over the top? I would not. 
I would not use soap in anything, okay, uh, unless it's a weed killer for uh, broadleaf weeds where you're not likely to hurt anything other than just what you're spot spraying. Uh, and over the top, I'd rather use a surfactant, a spreader sticker, um, because your soap is going to strip the cuticle layer or can strip the cuticle layer off your desirables that you're spraying over the top. And okay, I just got to spray some here, mix up another jug of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're oh, saying, Jim, yeah. but you said so you're just not a big proponent of using soap as a surfactant. Not, not a detergent. Not okay. like Dawn detergent because it will take, there's a waxy layer. It's not really cells. It's just a covering over Got the it. leaf. And it's thicker on when it's in bright sun and it's thinner when it's in the shade. Yeah. And that detergent will take that off. Yeah. Uh, and it n- may or may not burn the foliage, but it also, that it, that pr- natural pr- uh little that, waxy uh, layer is protection against other insects and diseases. Okay. So you run the risk of making your life more complicated. Yeah, what about like a little hand soap, like a mild hand soap? Is that still a considered still a detergent? L- probably still a detergent. Okay. Yeah, you'd have to see what's in it. Um, but it, it's it's best not to, if you're going to spray it over any kind of desirable. Right, I got you. Okay. But, but using something like a spreader sticker. Yeah. And then some of these, uh, like grass killers and over-the-tops, uh, they mentioned using an oil mixed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, to me, that's a little tricky also. What type of oil? It does. Well, it just... Yeah, like cooking oil or yeah, motor oil? <laughs> basically, it is like a spreader sticker, okay? Yeah. It just prevents sunlight from breaking it down quickly. Yeah, but I mean, but my point is, you know, if you read the label and it says, uh, you know, apply an oil concentrate with this solution, uh, that could be even something like hort oil or, mm-hmm. or neem oil or whatever. And it probably would work. It, yeah, but you still got to be a little careful even using an oil mm-hmm. when it's really hot. Yeah, so the, the neem oil is the, the kicker there, too, because it separates out so fast. Yeah. Oh, so not on that. Yeah. Not, no I, neem I, oil. I wouldn't. No. You just have to walk around shaking your tank yep. the whole time. So, so uh, for Jerry on the over-the-top, it's uh, not a broadleaf. It's a grass killer for Bermuda? No, no, it, it, no, no. no it I kills just, Bermuda. Okay. Yeah, but we're not using it in our right, Bermuda Right, but it's yard. because it's called, it's over the top because you can spray it over the top of a whole lot of desirables, yeah. monkey grass and ground ivy, uh, I mean English ivy, mm-hmm. and all kinds of things, and just take the grasses out. Doesn't kill nutsedge, doesn't kill any broadleaf weeds, it just kills grasses. Yeah, and we right. sell tons of it to kill Bermuda grass and monkey grass. Yeah. So kills. over the top with a spreader sticker yes. that you can get at a garden center. Yes. It's not not all of them, but uh, I'd probably call around and check. Yeah, but and we yeah we sell a good mm-hmm. bit of that spread but of sticker. If, you know, if you don't need much, Ortho has a product, um, Grass Be Gone, mm-hmm. that you ready can, to ready to use, ready to use. And I mean that will do that'll do a hundred feet or more because mm-hmm. all you wanting to do is just mist it. You're not trying to drown it. The finer the the spray is when you get it, the better your kill is going to be because it's going to stick to the foliage and not beat up and run down. All right. So for for Jerry that called, the safest thing he can do is if he's going to use a surfactant, is just get the spreader sticker. Get the spreader. Because that's what it's for. That is. Well, that's easy. That that's good advice. You know, everybody thinks, well, the Dawn's good for the ducks to clean the ducks. Well, that, and th- for there people, are some there are but, some good uses. 
off-label yeah. uses for Dawn. Yeah. I will agree that. But, but ducks don't have all the uh, issues that plants have, so it's a whole different ball game. It, it is. All it right. Is. Well, and it really plays havoc on your soil if you get a lot of it in there because yeah. it kills your microbes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people mix it up in they'll call this concoction they call a weed killer. That's got vinegar and, oh, come and on. Uh, citrus oil, whatever else or, they can find under yeah. the cabinet. Um, and it's, you know, that's not, they're not what they're designed for. I mean, you know, but using a detergent in your soil is not a good idea unless you're trying to make your soil drain quicker. Right. But then again, you're going to sacrifice your microbes. microbes. Yeah. All right. Let me just say this real quick also. And this is for people that are spraying out there. I don't care if you're spraying for Japanese beetles or if you're spraying over the top or image or any of those products that you can spray this time of year. I always tell people when it starts to get hot and dry, and it is getting hot and it is definitely dry it out is. there. It is. I've been watering all week. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You make sure that, first of all, everything's hydrated before you spray. You don't want to spray anything that is dehydrated. And secondly, try your best to spray early, early morning or late in the afternoon. Try not to spray during the heat of the day. And so many people will get out there and they'll not water before they spray. Uh, they'll spray things that are dry. And they'll spray it at noon because that's the opportunity that they have to spray. And they wind up burning a lot of stuff. So uh, just do those two things if you're spraying this time of year and you'll be just fine. You know, switch topics when you said microorganisms in the soil. Of course, that put me to a question that I would received not too long ago was black plastic over your soil to re- to prevent weeds or no black plastic? I'm saying no. no. I mean, no. it yeah, will that's work. What I said no. You know, I mean, remember the old black plastic gardens yeah. that oh, we yeah. used to do? Yeah. I mean, people would go out there and they would staple this plastic down. Uh, well, first, some people would even till their lawn. I mean, mm-hmm. till the plot first. They'd add some compost, some lime, a little fertilizer, put the black plastic on, and they would plant inside the plastic. And the, and the theory behind that was, okay, well, I'm not going to have any weeds in my garden. But, Jim, Beta, y'all know what plastic can do to soil when mm-hmm. it comes to your microbes that you were talking about. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about vegetable crops, they'll survive, they'll produce, you know. But what's going to happen in the season is you're going to take the plastic up, you're going to till it, you're going to add lime back into it, you're going to put some organic matter back into it, and you can successfully do that. Okay, but if you leave it down, you're going to, it's going to go anaerobic on you. You're going, you're so, and, and that's going to be true. I'm sorry to say this, but with cardboard or newspaper, it <laughs> doesn't take much of anything for your soul to do that. You know, I tell people, you know, just lift it up sometime and look at the worms right up mm-hmm. underneath it. And you'll go, oh, look at all the worms. I've done so well. Well, well they're, yeah. They're at the surface because they're drowning. Okay. Well, the well, soil is so wet underneath. Well, I've had great success with cardboard under, under you know, to make a bed and all that. We put it on Bermuda and used all the cardboard. To, and But we built a bed up on top of it, On top too. of it. Right, That's different. Right. Yeah. Right. Wasn't the mulch, but we built it on top of it. So uh, that was it. I didn't know. I didn't think that would work, but it worked. No, it works. And it will kill the grass and stuff up underneath it, you know, but it also kills pretty much everything else. Yeah. And over time, it turns into that nice blue clay that you love so much and smells like your sewer. Nice, nice. (laughs) I love that, that blue clay. Mm -hmm. So we're saying don't use black plastic to kill weeds. Yeah, I asked them, I go, how does the water get through to the soil? And then, then the plastic just flattens the soil, and like you said, it becomes anaerobic. So no one, no microorganisms want to live in that, and it just stays flat the whole time. So you're compacting your root system more, 
And then no water is able to run down through the plastic property. And that's why they came out with landscape fabric, which and is wonderful because... And I'm not a prom- proponent of that yeah, either. <laughs> well, I, I don't mind fabric. In certain situations. Yeah, because fabric is so much better than plastic because it, it is porous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's the key. Yeah, if, so... If you're a real gardener, though, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It really is because you end up cutting it and you know, it gets grass will not come through it from the bottom usually, but it will run right across the top of it in a heartbeat. <laughs> so there's where you need your fusillade and over the top. That's right. true. I just said no if we, that somebody wanted us to do that because that's too intense. We'll be back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We had fun giving the book away this morning, but we're going to do it again the second hour. Some lucky caller will get that thing. And lucky caller with a question. Because, you know, what are y'all thinking out there? What do you need to know? Because, you know, we'll just take something and just go with it. And Um, I know there's a lot, you know, I'm seeing this week on the UO. On our Facebook group, a lot of problems with early blight, a lot of problems with physiological leaf roll on tomatoes mm-hmm. from the sudden onset of the heat. So, you know, I know you got questions out there. We'll tell you how to fix that. And what's the difference? Now, the leaf roll is with the leaves. And first of all, if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. Uh, 260-5926. And, of course, you can always go to Facebook Live, the Mighty 990, and shoot us a text. A lot of people do that also, Miss Veda. But uh, I've saw some tomato leaf roll this week also, and mm-hmm. people, anytime they see that leaf on that tomato start to roll, they're thinking, uh-oh, something's really wrong with this thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. So when they roll upwards during the heat of the day, they're just and they may stay that way. Yeah. They may stay that way for several days, even if you were to move the plant, because it takes them a while to acclimate to their new location. Right. So they're uh, rolling up to protect themselves. That's right. Keep, keep, the, keep the that shade. leaf from burning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing they how are. nature works? Yeah. Why does it only do on tomatoes and other plants? Thank goodness it well, does it, it on tomatoes. It does it on a, lo- on a lot of plants. It's just we grow so many tomatoes, that's where we notice it so much. And uh, yeah. you know, if, you're raising, if you're growing them in containers, <laughs> that makes it even worse because ch- chances are it's a big black nursery container, which just sucks heat in you sure know, from all, all around it. Um, and that soil temperature is going to be... 10, 12, 15 degrees warmer than mm-hmm. in an elevated bed and, and probably mm-hmm. 20 degrees warmer than, you know, your soil. Uh, so if your plants are in a black bucket and, and we're having this issue and you're not wanting to transplant them, do a little decorating, do a little design. And put, put some, some smaller plants in front of them, yeah, or you some know, bird something lap to shade around. the container. Yeah. You know, the put, them on the, put them on the east side of a, of a, a fence so that yeah. they're shaded from the hottest afternoon sun. Which is no problem because right. you'll still get... Uh, tomatoes. I mean, you're, you don't fact, have to get have more. That's true. Because normally tomatoes, when we start getting nighttime temperatures in the 70s, they don't want to produce. Mm-mm. They you surely know? don't want to pollinate. That's right. So now they always start trying to pollinate. You'll get better them. luck by shading them from the hot afternoon sun. Of course, you still mm-hmm. may have to use a little blossom set on them, which is uh, probably a good idea. Um, but it's it's a lot easier on the plant. And right. Now, what's the symptom of the early blight? Early blight usually starts with yellowing at the base of the plant. Mm-hmm. And um, it's in the soil. It 
splatters up whenever you water or rain. And one of the biggest ways that it's transmitted through the garden is on your clothes. People like to go out there and garden right. first thing in the morning, uh, and there's dew on it. And so when you brush an infected plant and then brush the next one, you just passed it on. Mm-hmm. So, um, But it, it's quite common. If you'll put down some pine needles, that will help reduce the splash, but it's you're still likely to get some. It's very common. Uh, and, you know, I particularly like copper fungicide for this, this because you can use copper up to the day of harvest on tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And the day you plant, the next day starts spraying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From there on out, mm-hmm. it, it, whatever the label will allow. And you won't have any early blight. You know, it controls anthracnose, early blight, late blight, all these, you no know, nasty use. things. Yeah. yeah. So right. it, it's a great product to use. Very safe on pretty much all vegetables. You can use it on herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a good product. Well, we were talking about last time also the great tomato contest is coming up on the s- July 16th. I keep losing the date. I have to look again. But if your tomatoes aren't quite ready, start fertilizing with organic natural fertilizer. I'm sure you could probably throw that word. What? Some fast-acting fertilizer maybe to boost it along so you can win quicker. But I think uh, win quicker <laughs> Can you win quicker because you boost your fertilizer? Well, it depends yeah. on who yeah. the judge is. But then, of course, my theory is, since you're doing it for taste, uh, just use natural organic products. So you can get all the minerals in the tomato and, and the sugars. You know, sugars are in all things, vegetables, tomatoes, whatever. And if you uh, get your soil really good and the microorganisms are working really good, you're going to have a better sugar through the system, which is going to make your plant taste, and, and, or your tomatoes taste better. And uh, I, I think Jan Farmer uh, texted it in and said, uh, hey, gardeners, you know, get ready for the great uh, Mid-South Tomato Contest at the Agri Center. That's on July the 27th, Miss Fader. 27th. Let's, yeah. Well, yeah. I panicked they everybody, didn't I? They moved it. And then, no, and yeah, then Jan says July 17th. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe it's on the 17th. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Eh? It wasn't that late. Yeah, and then I, I had a uh, young lady, uh, Diane, uh, she texted in uh, and said, does uh, leaf roll also happen to dahlias? Well, it could. It could. Yeah. You could also have thrips on dahlias, yeah. too, because I'm seeing mm-hmm. some uh, evidence of that. Uh, so it's possible. Yeah, and, and well, thrips are attracted to lighter colors, of uh, plants. And like I know what a thrip is, blooms. but what's a thrip? You know what a thrip is. It's this little tiny bug. It has a very small piercing mouth part. Mm-hmm. And if they get a rosebud, it will deform that rosebud when it opens because it just goes so in they there get and in, sucks they, all the goody yeah. out of yeah. it. They get in there before they really open up. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they uh, are usually in there by the hundreds. And there's little bitty kind of long, slender little insect. Right. And they're horrible yeah, but uh, they'll in suck, roses. They'll suck on buds and, and on the leaves of dahlias. So it's uh, um, check that Yeah, first. just another yeah. thing. Yeah, because... When you would, people would bring rose blooms in and want to know why they had holes in them. And uh, we, I would take it and just start pulling the bloom apart and show them right in the center. You know, the thrips are there doing it. But you never, ever see the insect. No. So, and then well, you see discoloration on the blooms too, obviously, because they've been munching on everything. So that's a good indicator that you've got some type of insect. Yeah, and thrips, like you said, they're—I mean, they—they're usually in the bloom, and mm-hmm. of course, you know, I see them more in roses, 
for the most part than anything else. And like mm-hmm. you said, Veda, they like those really light-colored roses, mm-hmm. the, the light yellows and the whites. And I'm telling you, if you've got a bud that's just not open, opening up or is, is black around the edges and it looks deformed, you start peeling those petals back pretty quick. You can see them down there. You know, a lot of folks have asked, how is the insect inside of the bud? How did they get, how did that insect get in the bud? That's a good gym question. It went right through, <clears throat> burrowed in. Yeah, exactly. Or I've also, I was figuring that out one time and, so you could get larva down in the bud when it was blooming, maybe? No. They no, start when the bud definitely. is just forming, usually. Yeah. I mean, it's a tiny little thing, uh, hardly before you realize that it's a flower bud. So, But, yeah, and it's just a little, little bitty hole, mm-hmm. so you don't even see it. And, and if you okay. ever do have problems with thrips on roses, uh, I mean, typically you'll go out there and, and cut off the infected mm-hmm. bloom or buds. And then come back and spray with a good systemic insecticide. And I like the Bonide Insect, uh, systemic insect killer, because mm-hmm. it has the acephate in it. And I'm telling you, it's just a good product. Uh, and it kills a lot of different things. But I like the idea that it's also systemic, meaning, you know, the leaf and every, the mm-hmm. tissue will absorb that product. Um, so I'm telling you, I mean, there's a lot of things out there that love our roses just as much as we do. Yep. And I always say fertilize with the natural fertilizer. Just add a little booster to anything that... You know, this was, um, I always laugh about, or say, Osmico doesn't work as well as organic fertilizer, you know, because it works. They both work the same. I just like to go with organic because the natural thing and the taste and the blooms are bigger and you have to water less. But when I was a pesticide operator, I um, actually, Lantana in Texas, we was getting the, it just looked horrible. So, of course, the first thing you're going to do is go spray it all. Absolutely. Well, when I did that, sprayed it all, I'm not sure why I did this, but I took the Osmocote also and threw it out mm-hmm. into the bed. So, between the spraying to kill the insects and the fertilizer, the plants grew really good. Yeah. So, that's where I really got into, no matter what you're doing, do some kind of fertilizing or check your soil and see if it's like conducive situation. Yeah, and you know, you were mentioning uh, synthetic fertilizers and organic fertilizers, and they're both wonderful fertilizers, just a little different way each one of feeding. And you know, we we're always talking about the water soluble plant foods, the, one that, the ones that you mix with water and spray or pour. And Jim was talking, remember about a month ago, that water soluble fertilizers yeah. are unbelievably great to use because they work really fast. Mm-hmm. The only drawback is they just don't last that long, so you have to use them more often. But Jim was saying, don't waste your time spraying these water-soluble plant foods on the foliage of your plants. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. And they say it on every label to spray it on the foliage of the plants. Right, Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about that, too. And I always say use liquid fertilizer to stimulate or make the stuff happen more in the soil. And, of course, it said spray it on the label, and it works. But like Jim says, it's really leaching off into the soil, and that's what's <clears> making everything. when the water washes it off. That's where most of You can get a very, very tiny bit of fertilizer if, if you catch yeah. a stomatas open and spray up underneath the foliage. and <clears throat> But the little holes... How do on, you catch the 
stomata open. <laughs> well, if it's well hydrated yeah. and photosynthesis is going on during the day, then the mm-hmm. stomatas are going to be open because that's where you get the gaseous And exchange. the stomata is the little yeah. opening in the right. leaf cell yeah. itself. Yeah. Right. Primarily on the bottom, but some have it on the top. Mm-hmm. But then there are also very tiny little holes at the base of the hairs on most leaves. And these are very tiny. Yeah. They're, they're like molecule-sized holes. But they have a very... They have a, a ring of cells around them that has a light negative charge. So any negative ion fertilizer you put on it, nitrates, nitrites, are not going to be able to get in. They're repelled mm-hmm. by that. Urea could get in because it is neutral. But most fertilizers would be repelled from that. Yeah. What so, about like minerals and, and... There are some things. Iron and some of those things can actually go through those holes and mm-hmm. get into it. They don't move great distances yeah. because... If think about plants, you know they they don't move a whole lot of stuff um, from leaf to leaf. Right. Yeah. They yeah. they take it back to the root system and and that's where, and where the foods are going and that sort of thing. So it's it's really still best to put it on the on the on the soil. But most of what you spray on there, the fact that you're doing it is the yeah. most important thing. You're putting fertilizer down and you're going to see results and you're going to mm-hmm. think, oh, this stuff is wonderful. I should have been spraying my foliage all the time. All right, but the fact is, you just did it for the first time. <laughs> right, you know. Right, yeah. yeah. That that is very true. That's that right. Is very true. Yeah. But it's it's fun, and and I and, just and love that. You just start associating it. It was like yesterday, Tim Van Horn and I were talking. You know, everybody remembers how that um, uh, Dave Brown got bopped on the air. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they all saw that. Well, the fact is, it never happened. Okay, it never happened. But everybody see, you know, so they they automatically think, oh, this fertilizer is doing great on the foliage. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just it's. It just dripped on the soil. That's, That's right. So I guess my point work. is, when you're using a <laughs> fertilizer, whether it's a water-soluble plant food or whether it's a granulated uh, product, typically try to put it on the ground around the root system, That's, right? that's where you're going to get the most benefit out All of it. Right. right. We have to run to a break, and then I have another thought about the uh, organic fertilizer that's oh, Lord. spraying. And so we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> the Mid-South's conservative blowtorch, the Mighty 990 KWAM. Good morning. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. The uh, We were talking about organic fertilizer spraying on the leaf. And so you've got... Or any water-soluble fertilizer, right? right? Yeah. Yes. So you've got um, fungus on your leaves or in your plant. And their fungus is attached to the plant or in the stomatas. So if you sprayed the organic fertilizer then the beneficial fungus soaks in the stomata with the negative, and then they do their thing. So you're saying if you go out there and spray your foliage with liquid seaweed or mm-hmm. a big bloom or one of these yeah, organic water-soluble yeah, plant foods, yeah. you're saying somehow you think that being organic and being a fertilizer, it would potentially help uh, eliminate or protect your plant against bad diseases. Yeah, like like fungus diseases, because you're putting all the uh, good fungus in with the bad fungus. <laughs> I know. And so the good fungus, which doesn't make sense, because the good never wins, but the good fungus works on, and so that's how it becomes disease-resistant. Well, but it's you're, what, not 100% cure, but just every little thing that you can have to help. But that would be only if you had a 
water-soluble plant food that had mycorrhiza added mm-hmm. to it, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. Or in all the beneficial, you know, like you look on the bag of um, Holly Tone or some of the organic fertilizers and they list all these bacilluses right. and all, that mycorrhiza. all those words. I don't know if bacillus is on one of the fertilizers, but all these things, and that's a list of all the life. But now that, that but but soil. that you wouldn't spray on the foliage though, right? Would, right. Yeah. yeah, but you can you know read it like in the big bloom. It's got a list of all the ingredients. And then kangaroo. So what do you think, Jim? If you, if you bought like the Fox Farm kangaroos, that's chock full of mycorrhiza, and then the big bloom, which is a good organic blended fertilizer that also has, I think, some mycorrhiza added to it. Yeah, uh, but I know the kangaroos does. That. Yeah. Uh, do you think putting beneficial fungi on a leaf surface? is going to help protect it against bad fungi. Well, the in in the process of spraying, you're going to leave a residue of just stuff on yeah. top of the leaf, which may prevent the fungus from being able to get into the leaf surface. But as far as what sounded like a battle between good and bad fungus mm-hmm. over here with artillery, um, no, it ain't happening. <laughs> because the fungus that you're putting in your soil are for nutrient reduction. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's totally different than, which is going to make your plant healthier, which is going to make it less likely to be in, attacked by insects. So mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing to do at yeah. all. But, it uh, say, but, it might not but be again, that also detail. spraying, yeah. you know, spraying the, the, the leaves with an organic fertilizer organic molecules are way too big to get into yeah. the leaf so i mean that's they're not going to you're not going to get the benefit on the leaf surface of, at all of what you would so get with about, like urea yeah what about the uh the beneficial insect or the beneficial fungus can they get through the stomata no well that? no because those fungus that are in that you're after there are, mm-hmm. are for nutrient reduction they're not they're not they're soil fungi. Okay. But, but the reason in the I'm plant, we've got soil fungi in the plant. I guess it can work its way up yeah. if we get insects in the ground and it comes up on the plant. But And the reason I brought it up, guys, is there is a product uh, by Bonide called Revitalize. Revitalize is a biofungicide. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you spray this product on a plant, it actually will trigger the plant's immune system right. to mm-hmm. fight off disease on its own. Well, that's my right. original theory, right. but it, actually but I read this in a, a college. But what that, that's done, it, it, it encourages the plant to put out, like, well, its own. we used to use harp, harpin mm-hmm. enzymes wi- or, or hormones, which when sprayed on a plant, they sense the danger, and then the cells mm-hmm. thicken up. Right. Right. And so, but that's a different kind of animal than what they was talking we're about, putting yeah. in, in fertilizer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There are some great beneficial fungi that would even compete against um, fungi on the foliage. Yeah. But they're more professional-type products. They're also, you know, I mean, I've not seen any available for homeowners or anything like that. Um so it's, yeah. So there yeah. is an organic fertilizer that you can spray that can help with the get rid of the negative fungus. Well, but it's not fungus. really a fertilizer. It's just a, it's a biofungicide, is right. what they call mm-hmm. it. Right. Uh, it. It truly is a fungicide. So the bio is all the microorganisms and the things like that. Well, it's probably more of a protein. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That you're spraying yeah, on there. That was the word I was trying to think. Many harp and protein. All right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. but 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 the bottom line, Veda, is. It is always good to use fertilizers, I say always mm-hmm. good, around plants at surely at certain times. 
And it's never, ever a bad idea to use a good organic fertilizer no. around mm-hmm. plants. In fact, we had some I questions come up. This, I'm sorry. We had some questions come up about, is it too late to fertilize? And not at all if you're using an organic. It's going to improve your photosynthesis. Have no problem with it. I just wouldn't want this time of year use a fast-release fertilizer. Yeah. Yep. We'll, we'll get more into this, I'm sure, after the break. Yes. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Howdy. <laughs> I was like looking around going, <laughs> where did that come from? Hour number two. All right, so what happens in hour number two? Oh, that kind of all depends on you guys listening. Call us. <laughs> yes. 260-5926 and uh, see if you can stump the experts here. Yeah, I'll give that a try. And what about this uh, <laughs> this really nice book, Jim, that you might be giving away? We, yeah, we are going to give away another copy of uh, of Todd's new book to some lucky caller. We're just going to, when you call, you may or may not get it. We'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, but our Daily Biscuit, Devotions with a Draw by uh, Todd Starnes and uh, Michelle Cox. It's a great little book. It Got is. Lots of super recipes in it mm. and uh, and lots of good devotions in it. So, um You'll get uh, you'll get a chance to get one of those for freebie. You'll have to come by the station to pick it up. You know, but if you want an autographed copy, you can pick up one at Novel Memphis. That's awesome. If you would do that, and Poplar. give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to Facebook Live mm-hmm. and uh, see Miss Veda there uh, live, of course, and shoot us a text if you want sorta. to. Yep. Sort of. Oh, so we were on the insect thing. And how plants talk to each other and they all do. that, mm-hmm. which is agreed. I totally agree. And um, there's also one thing that attracts insects, and that's a plant that is stressed. Well, all the time stressed, <laughs> which actually sends out a smell or a pheromone or something. I've heard a smell that attracts the insect to that plant. They mm-hmm. could just be cruising along, just smelling the plant, spider, smelling around. And spider they, mites particularly well, attracted yeah. to plants that spider. are dry, that are stressed. And the same mm-hmm. thing with lace bug. And I even had that written down that, you know, especially on azaleas. And I've seen a lot of it this year uh, where azaleas that are typically getting way too much sun, they're just planted in the wrong spot. And azaleas that are, like you said, Jim, that are on the dry side. Uh, they are more prone to getting lace bug than a healthy azalea that's getting hydrated in, in the shade. Um, so you're right. I mean, it, it's really important for us uh, to try to actually put the plants A, where they belong. It's, yeah. it's secondly, it's important to us to try to keep them healthy. I mean, the healthier the plant, the less insect, the less disease you're going to have. And that's just the bottom line. Yeah. You know? Yeah, bottom line. Yep. So speaking of insects and, and you said spider mites, which put me over into the cat mint category because it seems like they get spider mite a lot. I had them at the garden center and, and it may be just maybe insufficient watering. It didn't seem so. But then I've had a couple of clients or customers come in and say their cat mint would do that, too. And it, and I'm thinking, but that's can, an awesome plant. But they can get flea beetles and, and midges yeah, and a lot of other things they also. Do. So I'm thinking, I don't even know if I want to do the cat mint anymore. I love it. Oh, I've seen cat mint in commer- even commercial beds. So I think it's just... Yeah, they did a huge planting of it in the rose garden at the Botanic Gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it, gorgeous. Yeah, in fact, you, know, you didn't notice the roses. Uh, wow. <laughs> it was, so it was it's really just, spectacular. This is just a situation thing, not the proper environment for yeah, what's I think happening. So. Yeah, yeah, good, good, because I see it beautifully, but I kept 
seeing that and hearing about it, and it just it must have been a thing that well, went through. Well, it, some plants are just natural insect magnets. Yeah, that's you know, what I was wondering Golden Euonymus. Scale, I mean, yeah. you know. I mean, you're going to have Euonymus scale. Because we got happen. them packed all together. And even even pruning, camellias. Pruning, pruning. You're going to get a little T-scale mm-hmm. probably down the base of the plant. Right. Um, so, I mean. They, even but, hollies. Yes, hollies. Which you would think not. But, right. And if you just turn your leaf over and you see all this white. There you go. Right. But, and then what do I do? Well, normally, if it's just, you know, around a few leaves on the, or a few limbs on the bottom, it's not, it's not so hurting a plant, yeah. really. So I don't mm-hmm. do anything about <clears> it, <throat> you know. I don't either. Um, I did a couple of years ago because I'd had a pretty bad infestation in one little area. I did uh, imidacloprid on mm-hmm. all the camellias the next uh, early. Now, did you do the spring. drench or do the I spray? I did the drench, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and it did a great job. I had almost no scale that that year, and this year I'll. So far, it's still really clear. So this is going. This is actually going a third spring now. So you, you're uh, going to go ahead and do a third. If, Isn't there a if, reason? If for I need to, I may. Okay. But right okay. now, the population's still low enough. You know. I see a little bit here and there, but mm-hmm. it's not enough yeah. to even justify not to alarm you. And this yeah. is the same uh, tree and shrub insect drench yeah. that we're using around the crepe myrtles for the crepe myrtle bark scale. Right. And then I was talking. I was thinking. I saw some leaf hoppers. I like to play uh, with them because uh, if you move on this side, they move on the other side. So if I move around on you this play side, peek-a-boo I with do, insects. I do. Well, I mean, you're it's right. So it's it's four insects that I'm seeing a lot of, and one is, of course, the Japanese beetle that we talked about in the first hour. The cottony leaf hopper that you're talking about, Veda, it leaves that little cottony residue behind, and it can get on anything. And I've had a lot of people even calling me and coming in. Uh, it's on their boxwoods now. Uh, and then spider mites. I, I'm telling you, I had a, a young lady the other day bring me in a sample of a rose limb that had rose leaves on it. You could not see any green on these rose leaves because of the spider mite population that was on there. Wow. Uh, just sucking yeah. sucking them dry, I'm like telling a, almost you. a spider web. Oh, it was just it was, it was the worst I think I've ever seen, Beta. And then of course lace bug on azaleas, and they are they're on the always on the underside of the leaf, sucking all the green chlorophyll. And that's out. another one you seldom see. Yeah, you know you you think you'll have a fungal problem because you turn it over and you can't find any insects whatsoever. But they're small, and yeah. but they're there. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know whether it's the uh, the drenches that you're using or the sprays that you're using. Uh, you just have to be vigilant. Get out there and take a look. And if you see these problems, uh, you want to correct the problem. Baby, this is where you always used to come into play, when well, you still do. You want to correct the problem by spraying the right product, okay? But then you want to take it a step further. You want to try to make sure that the plant is as healthy as you can possibly get it. Mm-hmm. You know, there again, water if it needs to get, you know, to be watered. Feed the plant a little bit. Get it stronger. Boost that immune system move back it up. If you need, yeah, exactly. Yeah, move it. And of course, it really starts with how you planted it in the first place, or what kind right. of soil you mem- did in the first place. Because no amount of organic fertilizer is going to fix something that's just planted straight in a can hole. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and, and in fact, there was a, a, and I hadn't responded to it. There was a post this week where somebody planted a, a Japanese maple, and it looks like they dug a hole just slightly bigger than the pot, right. filled it full of of nice organic yeah. matter, and then stuck it down in the hole. Well, this is not a cure. <laughs> this is not the right way to plant or something, you know. And it had already, I think, sucked so much moisture out that the leaves had curled. Right. Uh, but it's putting out new foliage, so it's recovered. It's not mm-hmm. gone, but it looks really bad from all the foliage that's browned on it. And it's just because they loved it to death. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Yeah. How many times do we see people kill plants with tender love and care, yeah. especially when it comes to the water yeah. hose? Well, the other thing about, because that sounds like that would be the proper way, because we go, oh, yeah. the soil's gross, you know, put some more soil in there. But uh, definitely not the proper way. You want to chop up the good organic matter into it. But you know, if it's a holly, you don't have to put as much organic matter with the um, the regular soil you take All right, But out. don't y'all always say, though, dig the hole just as deep as the root ball. Or not quite. Or hire somebody. <laughs> Twice <laughs> as wide. Mm-hmm. You know, typically one and a half to two times as wide. Uh, amend your clay. Don't replace your clay. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really good amendments out there, whether it's garden soil, soil conditioners, sometimes even topsoils, potting soils, uh, and, and then wonderful compost products like the Cottonburg compost. Uh, the back to nature. I mean, those products are really good to amend your soil with. And then when you take your, con- you know, your plant out of the container, you set it in the new hole. Of course, you put that new good blended dirt uh, around the root ball. And and typically, I don't care what I'm planting. I always say, you know, plant th- keep that root ball up about half an inch above grade, uh, yeah. above soil level, and then kind of berm up to that point. But you're doing all of this to establish a good home for these uh, root hairs to develop. And also, more than anything, you're creating good drainage. And that's the key around here in our clay mm-hmm. soil. Mm-hmm. You better have good drainage. And by elevating it, you guarantee that there will always be some air available to the roots. Okay, you haven't put it down where water can fill that hole and drown it. Well, and the reason I'm bringing this up, I was talking to a uh, gentleman yesterday. He actually dug a hole twice as deep as the root ball. Okay? And this was in a five-gallon container. So he dug, he, got a, he dug a well, okay? And the reason he did it, then he put stone mm, uh, down there that. in the bottom of this hole. And I said, that's all fine and good, but you did yourself no good at mm-hmm. all. Right. Because you're still creating a water well under the root ball of the plant that you're putting in the ground. And eventually the soil already, uh, gets runs through it too gets well, down but into it, the it's still holding water up yeah. under the root ball i don't care how much rock you put in there yeah. you know the only way conceivably if you could dig all the way through the clay and you probably end up with lava coming out of the hole uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know you could water would drain through that but there's no telling how deep the clay is so you know it's it's really it's it's not even it's well, not a good idea and, and but that's my point though i mean people i mean he thought he was doing it a above and beyond the way right. that other people yeah. would do yeah. it and, and really improving the drainage right it makes sense but no yeah. you dig the hole like you're saying you know just as deep or no deeper than the root ball uh, mm-hmm. and that's the key and then and you want to go wider than you do deep because you want that water to wick away from the root system and not set up under that root system all right we got to take a break real quick and uh, third caller, not third caller. We did that earlier. Yeah, it's the, we'll surprise it's, somebody. Yeah, it's that with a question. 260-5926. The Mighty 990 KWAM and Mighty990.com. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We had someone text in a question. His mother's front yard and backyard are being torn up by moles. I put down grub killer. What else can I do? Well, I'm sure that's out of desperation. Move her into a condo? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll answer that question, but we also have Bernice on line one asking about some crepe myrtles. Good hey. morning, Bernice. You're in the garden. Good, good morning. How are you? We're great, Thanks Bernice. Thanks for letting me know about the mulberry, because I called you initially the first time, mm-hmm. and I have been eating them with 
my salads, and they're still really sweet. Ooh, with <laughs> there a you salad. Go. I like that idea. Yeah, but my cream myrtles, I mean, I have, like, some that are, like, 5 feet tall and then some, like, 20 feet tall. But all throughout the, you know, season, mm-hmm. they would all be blooming. Mm-hmm. But this year, none, none of the different heights are blooming at all. Mm-hmm. And well, earlier you talked about beetles and everything. I hadn't really looked, but they all look healthy. Mm-hmm. And when I've gone down the you know street, I see you know some short ones that are blooming, mm-hmm. some tall ones that are blooming. So, what is going on with my crepe myrtles this year? I mean, are you seeing any buds out there on the crepe myrtles? Well, you know, I hadn't really looked. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some well, of them mostly, are slower. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, yeah. you know, crepe myrtles are like anything else. I mean, there are some that bloom early in the season, some that bloom mid-season, some that bloom late season. Uh, so there are some crepe myrtles that are just now starting to yeah, bloom. Mine, mine are late, but I attributed it mm-hmm. to the uh, the cloudy, rainy weather that we had all spring. They they bloom based on the amount of light that they get, and if you get a really cloudy spring, it can push them back thirty to forty five days. So, oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, nothing to worry I about. I still hope. I have some that are, you know, right there along the sidewalk, so that's real sunny. But then the others are against the field, so that is more shady. But And it know, could be the, the variety that. also. But yeah. I'd go out there and take a look at them, Bernice, and see if you're seeing the buds. Because the ones that I killed, the Japanese beetles that were just eating my blooms up on my uh-huh. primrose, uh, they've just now started to bloom for me. Yeah, you had mentioned the the beetles and things earlier. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, after, and you after you finish, I am going to go out there. And one but, thing you know, too, if your shade is increasing through the years, okay, yeah, then that may true. that can seriously decrease the amount of flower you get. So mm-hmm. you may but have to do real, some. You know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, well, I was going to say you can go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt. You may have to th- thin out some foliage to let more sunlight into it. Because they bloom on new wood, they're kind of like Althea's. They benefit from a little bit of pruning, but not heavy pruning. Uh, most of the new varieties don't like heavy pruning. They bloom best on two- and three-year-old wood than they do on first-year mm-hmm. wood. But if you if you thin them out and open them up some, you'll get some sunlight in there, uh, and that helps some flower stimulation. Oh, okay. Even, well, like I said, you know, those that are in the shady area, there's a, an open field that, you know, that's vacant, and but it's full of trees and everything also. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've never had problems in previous years. Yeah, and I still think you're going to get bloom for oh, these. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think uh, they're just some of them are a little slow blooming this year, and even mine, they're just now starting to bloom. Now, I can see oh, okay. the bloom. I mean, I've got some bloom brackets up there, and I've got some that, you know, that haven't started to bloom yet. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you should still see the the buds starting to crack on your crepe myrtles. But I'm with Jim. If you don't get enough sun in the, on that back area back there, uh, they're never going to bloom like they should. Yeah, but I've got yeah. one. I've got one right in the back. In fact, I was telling them off the air. I kind of use it as a bait plant for Japanese beetles. <laughs> uh, it was a seedling that came up, and I have yet to see it bloom. But it has not yet formed a single bloom. Uh, yeah, uh, oh, and it's okay. it gets eight hours of sun probably. Yeah. So. Um. Well, I guess I'll just, you know, you you had said uh, sometimes be, it may be 45 days. So yep, just be patient. We'll just see. Yeah. Um, but thank you very much for your response. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for calling Thanks in this for the morning. Call. Thank you, babe. Have a great weekend. Oh, and so, then the um, moles uh, with Eric. Uh, oh yeah, the moles. His uh, mother's front and backyard are being torn up by the moles, and we can all relate to that. And he did put down a grub killer. And what the reason they put the grub killer down is the grub killer typically is going to kill the grubs and most of the earthworms that the moles are feeding on. And in theory, if you get rid of their food source, they're going to go somewhere else. To right? your neighbors. To your neighbors. That's where they came from anyway, is what I say. Uh, the other things that you can do, uh, you can try to repel the moles also. Uh, and whether that's a liquid product that you hook to your hose, already ready to spray, called Mole Go. And uh, all it is is liquid castor oil. Uh, or whether it's the granulated castor oil called Mole Max. Uh, you can put those products down, and that just helps repel them out of the area. It doesn't kill anything. It just just moves them. Uh, so that's one. Another angle. B2 is you can get the old mole trout. And that's the thing that I love because it just spears them, you know. And, mm. and I know that sounds cruel. I but feel like that's the absolute ha- best control. I have no problem spearing you know, a, I have yet to ever catch one. I know. But you're right. If you ever use a mole trap, you've got to make sure that you put the traps on the active yeah. tunnels. And sometimes that can be really hard to do, okay? Yeah. Mine dig around them. Yeah. And oh, you can see you're it. Kidding. No, I'm not, ser- I'm yeah, I'm not hard serious. I'm not serious. I'll put it, have a run there. I'll smash it down. It'll come back up. I know that it's active uh-huh. and put a trap, spear trap right in the center of that sucker and they'll go up to it and then go around it. I guess the moles <laughs> had another meeting and educated them on uh, traps. Yeah, and so there's right. another thing that's that not going to work. And then lastly, um, uh, what Eric can do for his uh, mother's yard is get the, the baits, like the poison worms. A lot of the golf courses use those. Um, and it's, it's a worm. It's a man-made worm that's poison that you put down in the tunnels. Um, and I think when you buy a box of poison worms, it's like 10 worms in a box. And as they go grubbing through their little tunnel looking for something to eat, tearing up your yard and your beds, they see this big, fresh, mm-hmm. man-made worm, and they're like, look here. Uh, and it does a good job in killing them. But whether you're trying to bait them, whether you're trying to repel them, whether you're trying to trap them, or whether you're putting down, like Eric did, a grub killer, uh, you know, what do you do? What, I mean, yeah, that's that's, that's all best. you can do. Yeah, that is. Unfortunately, because how many times have we t- talked about moles for how many years? And well, forever. if we could invent something, man, we would be very well off. Yeah, but they're <laughs> going to get worse now, because, well, and primarily because our Japanese beetle population is climbing so rapidly. Yes, oh, and that's more grubs that we that's never right. used to have. Your grubs are going from 7 to 10 per square foot with June beetles to 25 to 50 per square foot. Some more food. So maybe inspect your neighbor's yard and if if you see them, start spraying your yard, even though they're not there. I don't know. How are we going to? But people ask uh, me all the time, and Mark, hang on just a second. We'll have to get to you when we go to the break. But people ask me all the time, out of those angles, which one is the best? Well, there's not really, a, in my opinion, a best way. I think a maybe a combination of ways. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as far as the traps go, Jim, I told you the story a couple of weeks ago where I went to a lady's house. This was two or three years ago, and she had actually hired a service to come out there and kill her moles. And her front yard is probably 20 foot by 20 foot. It's a very small front yard, really pretty place, but a small manicured front yard. I promise you they had 30 or 35 traps mm-hmm. in this 20 foot by 20 yeah. foot area. And I was thinking... Oh, yeah, they're going to get that mole uh-huh. right. I guarantee it. But I'm means. like, yeah. how much overkill is that? Well, you know? I, there was, uh, in the when I did the landscaping at, or the 
maintenance for small gardens, they would have people coming in to treat for moles and like the wildlife, some of the wildlife companies. And so I asked them, honestly, what to you controls the moles the most? And he said it was the traps. But that was a while back. So if uh, the moles are like Jim's moles, they're just going to go around it. So now what? Yeah, I have educated moles. moles. Yes, that's, he does. Well, that's because they live with you, I guess. We'll be right back. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. On the Mighty 990 and 1079 FM, KWAM. We were talking about moles earlier, and Kenneth left out one of the things to um, to get rid of them, and that's the vibrating things oh, that make sonic noise. Yeah. Yes, I did forget. And oh. a lot of people believe in these little windmill things, you know, yeah. that spin in the wind. In fact, I went to a guy's house one time. He had had, um, it was just a landscape call for him, and he had down one side of his property, there must have been a hundred of them. It's like a wind I turbine. I mean, all the way down there. Yeah. Farm. And he said, uh, he said that house over there has been baking for a couple of years, and the moles keep coming over, so I put those down there, and it keeps them back over there. Well, I learned two things. It may work for moles, but it also keeps people from moving into a house. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was gosh awful ugly. Like, yeah, I can't do this in the neighborhood. Uh, can't do not it. Not moving next to this dude. <laughs> well, how about is the um, exterminator, the uh, hose exterminator? Yeah, they don't even make that product anymore, no. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious that oh, we I know. did that. It was blowing uh, up converters and everything really? else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, let's go to work. Hey, Mark, good morning to you, buddy. Hey, guys. Um, got a uh, small front yard, uh, <clears throat> grass, two, well, used to be two uh, pecan trees. Mm-hmm. Um, just about, oh, a couple months ago, I guess, uh, cut one of the uh, pecan trees down. Right. And, of course, in comes the uh, direct sunlight, right. and so I think, it's a part of that uh, lawn is starting to, I mean, it looks like it's kind of starting to turn anyway. Is it? Is it too late for me to put some Bermuda down or somewhere? Should I just wait and just kind of pout till next year? No, no, no. No, yeah. I mean, uh, whether you're putting down seed or sod, um, you still can do either, okay? Uh, Bermuda seed, typically a pound would cover about 500 square feet if you want to do it the seed route. But you do need to rough it up really good, rake it smooth, salt the seed out there, and then come back and lightly feather that seed in and keep it moist. It usually comes up in about two weeks' time. Not a problem there. Mm -hmm. Or you can go out there and have a a lawn overnight. Of course, it costs a little more typically, and that's putting the sod down, Mark. Uh, well, do you get six hours of sunlight in that location where you want to put the Bermuda? Uh, I do now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I that, that one tree's gone. And you're right. I mean, the fescue is going to completely burn out. I mean, it's just going to disappear because of the uh, the sunlight that you have now that you didn't used to have. Uh, and yeah, uh, whether it's Bermuda or Zoysia, Zoysia typically people do by side. Um, Bermuda, you can do by seed or sod, but it's not too late, Mark, to do either one of those, seed or sod, when it comes to Bermuda. Okay, and it won't look weird, uh, like mixed in with No, the, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, because if you look around in people's yards, I mean, 
you know, there are areas where we get full sun, and Bermuda does great. Like you're saying, beta at least six hours of sun. But we all have places where we don't get that. Uh, I've seen uh, yards where you have all three grasses in it, Bermuda, zoysia, and fescue. Um, but no, it's uh, the only time that someone might think it looks weird is in the winter when the Bermuda goes dormant. Uh, and, of course, the fescue is still green. Uh, but what do you do? I mean, you you know, you know you, worst case scenario, you can overseed it with a little annual ryegrass. Right. You know, it'll it'll it's going to open up your your soil. You're going to have more weeds probably uh, the mm-hmm. following spring. But you can have a universally green lawn throughout the winter. But I'm telling you, I mean, it, it, in Mark, in your case, uh, you know, it's not really what we want. It's how much sun we do or don't get, and that's going to dictate what type of grass that will or won't grow there. Um, so no, sir. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd get that Bermuda down, uh, this year and I would keep putting the fescue down, uh, in the, or in the real shady environment. Or, okay. all righty. Well, thanks for calling. Thanks, Mark. In, Good luck, buddy. Mark. And, um, or you could get rid of all the fescue around the trees right. and do some mulch or ground cover. But I have to agree, that fescue is so pretty in the when shaded areas. When it's taken areas. care of properly, it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, So, um, and we like to mention using more natural products on your fescue in the summertime, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're That'll, right. I yeah. mean, you can feed Bermudas and zoysias this time of year because this is the growing season for Bermuda and zoysia. And typically, people feed their lawn about every six weeks with the lawn food. Uh, with fescue, not so much. When it gets really hot like it is now fescue goes semi-dormant. It doesn't really want to grow this time of year in the heat. In fact, we've always talked about spraying the fescue uh, twice a month, actually, mm-hmm. with a like a liquid seaweed. Because uh, it, it's good rooting hormones. We're trying to grow the roots deeper. Right, and, yeah. but you're not forcing your fescue to grow this time of year when it doesn't want yeah. to grow. We're just keeping it happy and alive. But I've talked to a lot of people that do use uh, and Jim, you back me up or, or not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that do use the seaweed uh, on their fescue in the summer, and they swear up and down uh, that they it, it really helps preserve that fescue uh, when it's hot uh, in the summer months. Because that's when we use lose most of our fescues anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, right. when it's hot and dry. So keep it watered, of course. Keep it cut high if you do have to cut it, which you probably won't have to. And go out there, like I said, every two weeks, uh, twice a month, and spray that fescue lawn down uh, with that seaweed. I promise you it's going to help you. So do you know there's 2,500 2, species of lavender? You probably knew that, too. No, Yeah, I but there's not. only uh, one that we need to know about, Miss Beta. The phenomenal. Yes, ma'am. But I've, I've got a number of them that are yeah. doing so good that, that I planted, and they're lasting. Yeah, if, uh, phenomenal is a great plant. It just mm-hmm. gets so blasted big, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for a, a garden like mine. I mean, it takes up half yeah. of it. You know, Isn't that I, amazing? I've got um, a little bit of... Auto- As Beta said, what a great problem to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Autoquast, which is, you know, uh, more upright, and it doesn't get near as big, and but it's still pretty. Well, uh, they uh, the Egyptians would like to have that big plant because they used to use lavender for mummification. Yeah. And uh, also, lavender deters mice. <laughs> Excuse me. Didn't have a list of voles at all or moles. So yeah, what I is mean, lavender if it doesn't... Uh, mosquitoes... Flies, lavender helps control, and I would say just by the smell, rubbing the plant, but it does a little bit of deterring. They make eye pillows out of it. 
We don't care about it. We just like the way lavender looks. You don't care they make eye. You don't even want to know what an eye pillow is. I, I, is it I'm a pillow you take your eyes out and put on it? No. No, it's just something that's more lavender nice, soaking into your eyes and making you feel happy. We need to rub some dirt yeah. on that pillow she's talking about and get it, her back uh, in the garden. induces sleep. You can make cake out of it. But I'd rather find out what all these wonderful callers would like to know about. All right, let's take one. Let's go to Jill. Good morning, Jill. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Yes, good morning. I have a question. We planted six arborvitaes last summer. They're mm. small, just three, four foot. <laughs> and one of them has that uh, kind of an ashy look. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a fungus. And then the, mm. it just starts getting really ugly. Or just a death, like a bad soil planting. Check maybe? It, have you checked it for spider mites? Mm-hmm. Yes, I haven't. I have not seen any creatures on it. Okay, I've checked it. I haven't seen any bugs or insects. That's why I didn't know if this was a fungus. Yeah, Ashley you know sounds dead to me. <laughs> take take a piece of of like typewriter paper out there and put it under the foliage and just slap it on it. So you wouldn't be able to see spider mites by looking at the foliage, you know, unless you saw they're almost microscopic webs that they'll have. Okay. They're, I mean, they're not like spider webs. They're so thin. Uh, and you're going to basically just see movement. They're so tiny. Uh, and see if you see any of that. If a plant gets a little bit dry, we were talking about that earlier, arborvitaes are just a magnet for spider mites. And if they start uh-huh. to have this kind of palish looking, that's always the first thing I'm thinking. Yeah, and ashy to me sounds dead, but spider mites look white to me when they do the damage. So it all depends on what ashy really is. And, and I know we've you. got Barbara yeah. and Jim, but Jill on the arborvitas, how long have they been in the ground, you said? We put them in last summer. Yeah. They were doing great. They all look pretty good. It's just one I noticed this spring. I was looking at it, and yeah. it just looked a little discolored. I was watching it. Yeah. I started spraying. I, you know, like I said, I thought it was a fungus, and I started mm-hmm. spraying it with neem oil. Yeah. I mean, and neem oil would help, uh, you know, uh, kill the mites. Now, you want to be careful using neem now when the temperatures are above 90 degrees. You make sure you spray early morning or late in the afternoon or not at all with an oil spray. Uh, make sure they're staying hydrated, and I definitely would feed them. Um, okay. But if you if you do what Jim said and you still can't really figure it out, uh, either cut off a sample of it and bring it by the garden center or take some good pictures of it and bring it okay. by the garden center. Yeah. But, uh, yes, yeah, the neem would kill spider mites also. Yeah, and I think I, I do agree with Jim since you were saying it's just discolored. Yeah, and th- yeah. this time of year, it's always a good idea with arborvitaes to about two or three times a week, just kind of hose them down fairly vigorously with a water hose. That'll keep most of the mites off of them. Yeah. And they also, oh, okay. they're one of the few conifers that they need to have increased water during the summertime, where most, like white pines and that sort of thing, like a dry period through the summer. They need to be, you got to pick up your moisture in July and August when it gets really hot or they'll start bronzing on you. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I will do that. I'll probably bring a piece in. <laughs> All right. Well, I want you to hang on because uh, Alan's going to talk to us. You are the lucky okay. winner. You're going to get a copy of, of Todd Starn's new book, Our Daily Biscuit. So congratulations. All right. Thank so you. hang on and he's going to get your information. Okay. Thank 
you. Oh, you're welcome. welcome. Thank Thanks, you, Jill, dear. for the call. Also, it, the Ibravides love the bagworms when they're too dry. Yeah, but yeah. you can see those. Yeah, boy, I have. We've had so many things on on our our Facebook group about bagworms on Japanese maples this yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, really? This year already? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that we got to go to a break here in just a second. And I know we got Jim and we have Barbara, and I promise you, we'll get to y'all. Um, but. Uh, Spider mites, they are a big deal, I'm mm-hmm. telling you. And, you know, you then you think, why is it spider mites just on that one arborvita and not the other ones? It's stressed over exactly. something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and what what do you do now? I mean, what product are you recommending if you take if you take oil out because of the heat for spider mites since we have no kelthane anymore, we have no Vindex anymore? Yeah. What what are you recommending? I mean, well, acephate, you know, acephate, okay. uh, the bonite systemic insect and spray. Worst case scenario, malathion is still a good mite killer. I mean, it doesn't have much residual. You're going to have to do it pretty often. And, and you know, she mentioned neem. I mean, do y'all mind using neem when the temperatures are above 90 degrees? I mean, I know that in a lot of people. Shade, would, well, I know a lot of people would spray early morning or late in the afternoon, mm-hmm. but still during the day, it I'm is above a, ninety I'm, degrees. I'm not a big fan of it, you know. Using any kind of oil spray when it's above ninety oh, degrees. Yeah. yeah, if you're going to do one, I would pick a horticultural oil. They stay in suspension better than neem because as, if you're not shaking that neem, you're starting off with water being sucked from the bottom of your tank sprayer. That's almost all water. Mm-hmm. Then when you start to get down there, you're getting a whole lot more neem, and that's when we see a lot of burn is when people get close to Boy, the bottom of the tank. I'm so glad I didn't know all the technical stuff. So apparently it's a placebo because when I did when I sprayed crepe myrtles with uh, that had lots of powdery mildew, that worked. Um, but I guess it's because the uh, powdery mildew different is filaments plant. on top. Different plant. Yeah. Too. Broadleaves I'm not near as concerned about as I am mm-hmm. spraying an oil on a conifer. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a broadleaf that I yeah, sprayed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But not on a conifer. Yeah. yeah over in McMenville, they're using their. Uh, 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 all right. We'll talk about this when we get back. <laughs> we'll all right? right. We're going to take a quick break because <laughs> I won't shut up. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back. I'm too busy watching what y'all are doing to know what I'm doing. Hey, let's go to Jim. And then we go to Barbara. Excellent name. Good morning, Jim. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Listen to this. Excellent name. Hey, Jim, good morning to you. Thank you. I have a question about an azalea. Yes, sir. I I, I call it leaf canker. Mm -hmm. After they bloomed, (laughs) they came out and have some little white, Growth on the leaves, yeah, uh-huh. and, and they've turned dark brown, yeah. and they're very crusty, and the leaves are dying. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It was called azalea leaf gall, G A L L. Uh, there are some fungal galls out there, and then there are some in- insect galls out there. Well, this one happens to be a fungal gall, and we saw a ton of this on azaleas this year mainly because of the cool, wet spring that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the gall that you see on azaleas, uh, I mean, you know, you never want it. Uh, but if you start seeing azalea leaf gall, I tell people to go out there and just pick off as many as they can, come back and spray with some liquid copper, wait two weeks and spray again, and you'll knock a lot of that out. But, but unless it's really bad on the azalea, it's, it's not going to kill your azalea. It can make it look pretty bad. It can surely cause some defoliation. But it's not going to kill right. that azalea. It's, it's just it, a f- if you don't remove those brown ones, though, they are full of spores, yeah. you know, and they're going to fall to the soil. And should we have another situation like we had this year, it could come back 
much, much heavier than you have now. So re- that's what I'm saying. Remove as many as yeah. you can. Yeah. And spray with something like the liquid copper. Yeah, well, I've got a lot of azaleas, so that's yeah, going to be it. it. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. only if that's It isn't going to kill your azaleas, yeah. though. Yeah. It did you, just, know, you can just leave it nuisance. there. But, Jim, we saw a lot of that azalea leaf gall, and it looks horrible. I mean, it makes the leaf swell up, and it looks, you know, you get that white, fuzzy-looking gall, uh, and then it turns brown and black, like you said. Um, but just spraying a fungicide out there a couple of times uh, will really help the issue. All right, we got another call. Who yeah. we got there? Oh, wait, I wanted to ask a question, Jim. Oh, okay. Go I got a question. <laughs> Is there, or Kenneth, is there something we can do in the fall to prevent those spores that have, even though we may not. not you, can do it, you do it in the spring. Yeah, Just in, in the, the spring. spring. Because, yeah. Okay. As a preventative, and you can stop it from ever happening, but you want to do it prior to blooming. Gotcha. All right, let's go to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hey, Barbara. Hello. I've got another question about azaleas. Yes, ma'am. I've got lace bug. Can I spray now for them? You can. And lace bug, are, they're horrible right now, Barbara. And that's where, that's that little insect that gets on the bottom, the underside of the leaf by mm-hmm. the millions and is sucking all the green chlorophyll out of the leaves. So you get this really washed out looking azalea. Two things, like I said a while ago. One is make sure the azaleas are well hydrated before you spray this time of year in this heat. And then get a really good systemic insecticide, like the bonide insect spray uh, or the imidacloprid. Isotox. Isotox is perfect. Wonderful. Wonderful product. You can sell that on eBay for a lot of money. (laughs) You said Jim's favorite Can I buy that from you? I've had it a little while. But the isotox has acephate in it too, Barbara. Also has Vindex, which is an excellent miticide. Vindex? Vindex. Vindex. But you can take that product uh, and spray the azaleas early morning or late in the afternoon after they've been watered, and then come back in about 10 days and spray again. You will flat out kill the lace bug that are causing these problems. Now, the damage doesn't go away overnight, okay? But mm-hmm. you've got to get rid of the lace bug, though. Okay. And, that, and that's a perfect product to use. Okay, another quick question. When I buy 6, 12, 12, 13, 13, 13, I bought some, and I left it in an open container yes, ma'am. where I was sprinkling, and now it's just wet. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just should keep it closed all the yes, time. Yes, you got to yeah. keep that stuff dry. you got to keep it okay. dry. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, thank Barbara. Y'all. Thanks, Barbara. Thank Have a great weekend, question. dear. Triple 13. Haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of the things that aggravates me about so many garden writers. They'll go out in there and say, you need to apply a triple 10, 10. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they have no idea what your soil needs. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and everybody goes looking, I got to have this triple uh-huh. 10. Yeah. You know, no, you just got to have fertilizer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and you probably need one that's not triple 10. You need one that's got a better quality nitrogen and has some micronutrients. <sighs> ah. Okay. And, and now, but if you do use triple thirteen or six twelve twelve, just be very light, light handed with it. I just love you right now, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put it down heavy, and make sure you come back and water the product in. It's great for for for, for yes. vegetable gardens <laughs> and for lawns. Okay, but it is it, it's okay for lawns. It's great for vegetable gardens. Real but quick, quick. Okay, what can we do with the, the urea if it's all wet? I would not a lot because it will harden up. It'll harden up like a brick. Yeah, I'd bag it up and take it over to the toxic dump at um, the fertilizer over at the uh, penal farm. Okay, great. That's what I wanted to know because all of y'all might have something that's old. Yeah, they'll take fertilizer. All right, that sounds good. How long can um, 
uh, liquid insecticides and all that last. A long, long shelf life as long as they didn't freeze. Yeah, uh, the ready-to-use product, because mm-hmm. it can be absorbed into the into the plastic. You know, Ooh. I wouldn't keep it more than a couple of years. All right, y'all. Y'all heard it and hear it again. Or listen to our podcast, Mid-South Gardening. <laughs>